there is you know some methodology that I'm got familiar with around this idea of being more intuitive and I really believe in that right in some of our best decisions are taken when we are in tune with our body even more than our brain because a lot of time you know our, our brain and rational thoughts are just a very small component of the equation welcome to the be on purpose podcast where science meets spirituality and innovation partners with intention I'm your host, Lynn Gravatt, aerospace engineer turned spiritual guide and quantum coach, bringing you inspiring stories and practical insights from the world of aerospace to AI. Each episode, we dive into the journeys of visionary thinkers and STEM leaders who are transforming their fields. So whether you're a tech enthusiast, a business innovator, or someone simply seeking to elevate your career with purpose and passion. Join us as we explore the fascinating intersection where technology harmonizes with human potential. Let's embark on this journey of discovery and growth together, right here on Be On Purpose. Isabel Bart is the founder of Impact Innovator and is passionate about empowering individuals of all backgrounds to create innovative and impactful enterprises. She was previously the director of the Small Business Development Center at University of California, Irvine, that provides strategic counseling services to startups and the executive director of RevHub OC where she managed partnerships and led operations of their social impact incubator and accelerator. She is the lead instructor for the National Science Foundation's iCorps program at UC Irvine, an immersive and entrepreneurial training program that facilitates the transformation of invention to impact. Isabel has also held various leadership roles in business planning, marketing strategy, and digital transformation for several organizations in the healthcare and nonprofit sectors. She was named one of the top 100 women in social enterprise in 2023 and was nominated for the Orange County Business Journal's Women in Business Award in 2022. Isabel holds a Master in Business Administration from the ESSEC Business School in Paris, France. Hello, friends, and welcome. We are recording the Be On Purpose podcast, and I have a beautiful guest, Isabel Bart. So let's just dive right in. Who are you and what do you do? I I actually started uh, studying engineering, so I'm kind of an engineer dropout, if you will. Uh, But I turned into, um, you know, business school. And um, so after graduating with an MBA, I started a more traditional career around business, marketing, um, a lot in healthcare. And then I realized that maybe that wasn't exactly for me. So I uh, started doing a lot of nonprofit work, work uh, in marketing communications for professional association of nurses for many years, where I led teams and digital transformation. And finally, I got into a probably the space where I need to be, which is working with entrepreneurs and innovators in building amazing companies and seeing their ideas come to life, especially when it comes to uh, live and world-saving ideas, which is what I really enjoy doing today. Well, that's amazing. It seems like you have 
work across the gamut. We have engineering, we have healthcare, and now we have entrepreneurship. So it's all connected. Describe the moment when you realized that empowering others and creating impact was your calling. So when you first made this decision to go into this impact innovation, what was, was there a defining moment in that? Well, what's interesting, right, in my career is I moved, um, I grew up in France, so a very different culture from the American culture. I came to California when I was 21, and for many years, I felt that I was doing well in my career, but there was always something off, that something didn't feel right. I didn't know if it was because I was from a different culture, because I was maybe not doing what I'm best at doing or what I enjoy the most. And because I grew up also in a very traditional family and I didn't have a lot of entrepreneurs around me, I think I wasn't really exposed to what entrepreneurship can be like. And finally, little by little, I started being exposed to entrepreneurship as I mentored a lot of entrepreneurs at the local university or in incubators. And that's when maybe the light bulb went off and I was like, yes, okay, I I get it now. Um, And I realized that entrepreneurship is something that I'm passionate about that drives me because of my personality and my taste for not just risk, but getting things done, moving forward, being action driven, not being afraid of failure. So I, it took me a long time to get there, but I realized that once you're finally doing something where you can thrive and realize your full potential, your whole world changes around that. And I think there is nothing like experiencing that joy and fulfillment of getting up in the morning and thinking, I love what I'm going to be doing today, no matter what it is. And I thought for many years that nobody was supposed to have that feeling that we were just going to go to work and get a paycheck and, you know, and go with life. But now I see, I see it very differently now. Wonderful. Well, and it feels really relevant because there's technology entrepreneurs, there's engineering entrepreneurs, there's all different types of entrepreneurs. Do you have a specific client that you can think that you work with in a STEM type field that you can explain a little bit how you work with them and how your work transformed their business? Yes. Um, actually, that happens almost every month. I'm very fortunate because about two years ago, I got trained by the National Science Foundation as an instructor for their i program. So i is a program that really supports early innovation and helping a lot of uh, faculty in universities and, and grad or postgrad students bringing um, a new technology into commercialization. That program is extremely successful, and every month I get to work with faculty, students who have amazing potential technologies. Uh, So I'll give you an example, right? Someone may have a new way to address uh, stem cell research or gene therapy, you know, transforming the genome. I mean, Mm -hmm. things that technically I don't completely grasp because I I don't have that background, but what's amazing is I'm able to help them change their mindset about how they can understand what you do with a technical idea, right? And a lot of time it's very overwhelming for the inventor because a lot of scientific technology can apply into many different fields as we know, right? It can apply 
applying anything from medical to you know space. Um, one of the uh, professor I'm working with this month, um, she has a technology. She's at the School of Music, but the technology that helps people learn how to play the violin can also be a technology that applies to prosthesis. And so she's also working with the School of Medicine. She developed the technology. She has the idea. But I work with scientists to really help them understand what a market means, you know, what a customer is, how you think about getting this technology out there that someone is going to want to buy it. Because most of the time, when you look at the data, startups fail not because they don't raise capital or because they don't have the right people on the team. It fails because there is not a market need. Mm. So that is what we really focus on in that program, going through customer discovery and uh, talking to humans, which is a actually a book I recommend. Um, it's really understanding how you can start figuring out that product market fit or where your technology may best apply and has a chance to get commercialized by talking to people who may use it. That's wonderful because so many of us take on this persona of, I know it all, I can do it all. And one thing I learned, because I'm also a crossover, right? I used to be an aerospace engineer turned coach, spiritual guide. And as I got into my entrepreneurial journey, I realized that I have no idea, <laughs> not how to be an entrepreneur, but how to market, how to do all of that stuff. So having someone like you on our team is very, very valuable. I want to move forward and circle back because as you know, this particular podcast is about the intersection between technology and I'm, I'm playing back and forth with my words. You know, the word spirituality can kind of take people off a little bit so we can also say higher states of consciousness. So we're going to move into this section of the interview and I think it's going to circle back to that story you already shared about when you had that pivotal moment. So can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual, religious, whatever background possibly growing up and maybe how it's evolved into who you are now? How does that inform you as a person that works with STEM leaders? This is a fascinating question, and I'm going to try to not be too, too long again on the answer. Um, Go as because... long as you want, because I want to know you. And I think that, and, and I want to be clear that this is the point of this conversation because people don't have these conversations, right. right? We have this view in our mainstream world that there's a separation between our spiritual side and regardless of what that is and our human side. And so I'm really trying to help people understand that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and that we are all going to be so much better off when we acknowledge that and let that be a part of how we know each other, right? As, as grander. So take as much time as you need. Right. That was the point there. <laughs> So, yeah, so, you know, you we talked earlier about, you know, I'm working with a lot of academia, for example, um, extremely bright inventors and, and people. And um, at the same time, you know, my journey has taken me through a lot of these antagonistic moments. So, for example, when I talk to students, um, I do have, you know, again, mixed feeling about academia because sometimes in the academic world, there is a notion that there is a right or a wrong answer. But in my mind, to be a successful entrepreneur, most of the time there is no answer. 
there is no right, there is no wrong. And you need us to constantly evolve in this world of not necessarily doubt, but being able to question things, question the status quo, question even what you perceive. I think for me, when I reflect on that, all this year that I spent, you know, I was a really good student in school. I was always trying to do what I was expected to do, to do the best. But at the same time, a lot of unconditioning I had to do to be more successful in my entrepreneurship journey, because you need to develop these skills where you constantly want to be curious and, and think that there is another way and that maybe there is no right answer. And even also when we're young, I'm thinking about playing a lot of sports and that idea that there is always a winner, which is also another thing spiritually that um, I evolved to and promoting much more abundance in the world where I don't really like the idea anymore of someone wins. And because a lot of time it implies for people that someone is going to lose, where I really believe that there is enough for everybody, right? There is enough of the good things. So in business, what that means in impact entrepreneurship is we can have amazing businesses. We're going to make money. We can scale. We can, we can be sustainable. And at the same time, we're saving the world. We're going to clean up the ocean. We're going to create new type of energy. Why would I has to be one or the other, right? So I realized that a lot of these notions that were instilled in us when we were children and really young are hard sometimes to go against. So these are a lot of my spiritual work has also revolved around that, um, as well as understanding myself better has been really key. And that's what I also coach entrepreneurs on is that even before doing a lot of professional development, start with self-awareness, trying to understand who you are. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. There is no uh, you know, good and bad people. We each have our strengths, our weaknesses, our ways to function. And using methodologies like the Enneagram or you know, common personality typing, Sometimes it can come across a little bit, you know, check check the box. But I think it's important because you need to understand how you're going to react when you work with others, when, you know, you're in a relationship, whether it's professionally, personally. So when I was involved in the Professional Association of Nurses, where I spent many years, I was, again, extremely fortunate that as a team leader, I had a lot of these resources accessible. So I developed myself as a leader. I developed my team members. And that's when I really made a shift into thinking that successful business is not so much about all the analytical and the hard skills I learned around marketing, IT, coding, whatever you want. It's really around human potential. So how to best develop people, how to best leverage everyone's skills in terms of the workplace today, the hybrid versus, you know, everybody goes back to the office or I am extremely, you know, liberal around these ideas because myself, I'm someone who needs a lot of motion. I function extremely well when I have my breaks during the day where I can exercise, move my body. Um, I, I've seen it. I have the evidence that if I sit at a desk for eight hours straight, not many amazing things are going to come out of me, but when I go swim or, you know, ride my, you know, when I'm on my paddleboard on the water, I can create amazing things. And I, you know, also a big fan of yoga and things like that, meditation that can calm my mind. 
um, these things that I've developed maybe in the past five years, a lot have been very instrumental. Also, during COVID, I think many of us had those hallelujah moments during COVID or, you know, what, what do I really want to do with my life? My story of COVID is that I went through breast cancer. So not only, I mean, COVID was something that touched every one of us, but also I had to battle an early stage breast cancer, which was not life-threatening in itself. And I'm very grateful for that. But that also enlightened me on the fact that we may want to do everything that we're supposed to do again in life, you know, getting good education, having a good job, saving for retirement. But life has surprises for us and we just need to be prepared for that. In my case, that experience ended up being a blessing because it really made me understand that we don't know how much time we have on the world. And maybe, you know, at 41 years old, it was time for me to to do what I really truly wanted to do and not worry so much about what other people thought about me, um, you know, providing for my children, whatever it was. So I made a lot of changes after 2020. And I also started seeing what manifestation may mean. So I know the audience may, you know, believe in it, may not. Um, I really believe that there is a universe around us that we're all connected. And because I started believing that and I started really shifting my mindset to what I truly believed in the world, this abundance concept, how I'm going to be able to help people with my skills, having an impact on them, but they will have a bigger impact in the world. Many things that I thought would take me five years to achieve happen within weeks or months. Um, so really the rule of manifestation, because I've experienced it personally, I believe in it. And in coaching, that's another thing that I want other individuals to experience. Yes. You described a quantum leap in your man when you were talking about manifestation, and that is the unified field. I'm going to try to get these scientific terms in there for some of the listeners. The idea that every atom, whether it's an air atom that has obviously no physical matter or an atom in your body, it's 99.99% energy. So we don't experience it that way because of our sense perceptions, the way this biological robot was made, but that is tapping into the, the universal field. Um, you mentioned the Enneagram, and I feel that's worth mentioning because that was also one of the very first places I started on my spiritual journey as well. I was an aerospace engineer, and I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And I, the first, one of the very first things I discovered was the Enneagram. It is based on ancient Sufi wisdom, but it's actually like mainstream now. Of course, you know this. So I am a three- Achiever with the two wing, a helper, anyone who's listening, go look up your Enneagram and I'll make sure in the show notes, I have a link because there's actually a wonderful site out there that links the Enneagram to the chakras and where you likely have deficiencies. And that blew my world up. So what's your Enneagram? <laughs> yes, it's funny. Um, mine is two wing three. So um, oh, kind of not, you know, love um, that totally. Yes, I am a helper, and maybe you know you've sensed it as you know as we're talking. Um, I also believe I have a lot of seven, which is a more like typical entrepreneur type. Um, but I, 
Enneagram is something that I'm a big fan of and I listen to podcasts on it every week because after doing, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of personality typing, Myers-Briggs and, you know, Strength Finder, um, a lot of this kind of thing, which I like and I think are very valuable. The day I ran into the Enneagram through a colleague who recommended it and I read my type, I had tears in my eyes because... I finally understood so many things that happened in my life, why I did things, why I didn't do things. And, you know, the helper being someone who typically thinks they cannot be loved unless they help, um, which I have a lot of achiever as well, since my wing is three. So you also understand it, Lynn, of, you know, nobody's <laughs> going to love me unless I'm the best at everything. Yeah. Um it's, you know, it's, of course, you know, spoke to a lot of my bringing, you know, my studies. Um, and I think this is what's wonderful about the Enneagram is, you know, you can learn to be in the healthy range of your type and really uh, be at that full potential and understanding, uh, you know, I have finally understood why it's hard for me to be in solitude, um, always like to be surrounded by people. Um, and, you know, it's definitely a big source of growth as well, where I, um, you know, can take that back and, and see where I can, um, again, develop that healthy range and, um, and interact with others as well. So because I understand a lot of the other types, you know, when someone tell, tells me what, what they are, uh, it gives me at least a first, you know, good framework for, for my interaction with them and understanding a little bit, a little bit where they come from. Wonderful. I want to circle back to one more thing before we move on, because it's very clear to me that you are already on this personal growth journey, obviously, and that's really important. And then there's people listening who might be curious, but are more where we were when we first discovered the Enneagram or something. And they have a spiritual or religious background, like likely, like for me, I grew up a Catholic, not a strict Catholic, you know, we had to go Christmas and Easter and do all the basic things. But I definitely had a wiring of this is the belief system you have. This is what you were born into. And for me, luckily, because I didn't have a dogmatic upbringing, it was pretty easy for me to set that aside and keep what I liked and, you know, allow myself to be free. But do you mind if I ask what your spiritual or religious inclinations were before you had this kind of expanded worldview of what religion is or, or sorry, spirituality is, or maybe you didn't have much of a background. So I grew up, um, I was raised Catholic as well as the vast majority of people in France. Mm -hmm. um, and also as the vast majority of Mary Magdalene, <laughs> my generation, we, you know, we learn a little bit of religion when we're young. Um, most people don't really attend church service anymore um religion has lost a lot of um you know what they used to be um i um i'm not against religion um i think for me what's important is the values that sometimes are conveyed by religion in terms of community helping each other i'm also sometimes seeing religion unfortunately when people manipulate it in ways mm -hmm. that end up being hateful and other things um, so for me, that's why I, I am not, I don't see myself as someone who's very religious anymore, but more spiritual because I believe in humans being part of a bigger thing as being citizens of the world. And also, 
having the ability to collaborate um, into solving the problems we need to solve. Um, and I'm also sometimes a little bit anti-institutional in general, um, not against politics, but not my favorite subject either, because I think, yes, institutions are important for many things, but also a roadblock in many, many examples. I mean, even in you know innovation and developing technology, I mean, there's amazing work and funding done by some major institutions, um, you know, federal government, for example. And yet, sometimes the way they function internally is very different from an entrepreneurial spirit where maybe some innovations at times could be developed faster or, you know, funded faster or so, you know, no situation is ever perfect. Um, I think we just need, my philosophy is to always make the best of things, um, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because like I said, there are a lot of people in the world. The thing about with these institutions is they belong to our ancestors. So epigenetically speaking, there's much more wired in our subconscious than we might be aware of. And so I feel like just having these conversations gives other people permission, again, to take what they like and throw away the rest and that there is no right or wrong. I honor anyone that believes anything they want to believe, institution or not, but I'm definitely with you. And at the same time, with as I have stepped away from institutions, I have found more love and compassion and even understand like some of the best conversations I have are with people that are like devout Christians every Sunday. You like, you know, we have like completely different ways of looking at the world, but they sometimes lead to really enlightening conversations. So thank you for sharing that little bit with me. Okay. So this podcast, we talk about the PCs. I just love that because PC is a computer, personal computer. <laughs> and these PCs are passion, power, and purpose, creativity, compassion, and consciousness. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions around these. But given those six words, power, passion, purpose, creativity, compassion, consciousness, what naturally bubbles up? the passion creativity so this year in 2024 one of the things i'm going to develop is coaching individuals especially individuals who have evolved through traditional careers maybe you know an engineering career and i've always felt like they didn't you know there was something maybe bigger in the world for them and helping them transition maybe into something different um and for that there is, you know, some methodology that I'm got familiar with around this idea of being more intuitive. And I really believe in that, right? In some of our best decisions are taken when we are in tune with our body even more than our brain, because a lot of time, you know, our, our brain and rational thoughts are just a very small component of the equation. So that idea of creativity in the sense of also really tapping into, you know, even play sometimes as a methodology to to connect yourself, being in nature, these, these kind of things where your creativity can really be boosted. You know, passion as well, right? I mean, I think you may have heard the concept of ikigai, right, in the Japanese mm -hmm. culture where there's these circles and then it's kind of like, you know, what you love to do, what you're good at, and then what, you know, like kind of finding the perfect match in all this, which is, you know, like as I explained earlier, the days where, you know, I'm, I'm like, 
I just love what I do. And I feel that way pretty much every day. I, I just love where I am. I love the people I connect with. And being in that space to me is priceless. So let's talk about passion. I love passion. And I love that you talked about this idea of being well, you didn't say the words, but embodied, right? Letting things come through the body, which is a very feminine concept. And so we are speaking to a lot of scientifically minded leaders. And if we're just real, there tends to be more men in that field. I know both of us are champions for um, inclusion and diversity and all that stuff. But sometimes these men have a harder time tapping into this thing that we call intuition, which everyone on the planet has an ability to tap into this intuition, this higher guidance. So speaking about passion, how has your passion for social change shaped the way that you lead and advise STEM leaders? As I mentioned earlier, is there really the concept of abundance? Or I believe mm. that everyone, like you said, I think everyone is a good person at heart, right? I mean, deep inside, you know, and the more you can connect back to these moments when we were children, we we're just curious and discovering things. And maybe in STEM, it's easier because potentially people in this kind of career are hands-on, are working in a lab, are building stuff. I think that is one way, right, to connect yourself with, with that. Um, for me, right, it's, we can take destiny in our hands. That's what my passion is, you know, to say, even just us as humans, we can change the world, we can we can build these things. And so that's why it has become my passion. And what I found is where I can best use my skills is by helping entrepreneurs, innovators, scientists, who also are, you know, are geniuses in their field, but may not see the full picture taking that innovation and seeing it, you know, change the world eventually, right? So that's what really drives me. That's what I feel passionate about. And also that passion has helped me be unapologetic for certain things, right? Mm. Um, for the fact that, like you said earlier, I respect everybody's, you know, opinion. I just let people be, let, let them do what they think is best. But, and instead... I just gather with the people who are like-minded, who have similar passion as I do, so that we can create some momentum around these things we believe in. So that's also been something that a big enlightenment in, in trying as a helper to help everyone and save everyone and get everybody on the train. It's okay. Some people may not want to get on the train, but there are so many people who who are willing to, you know, how do I connect more with them and how, as we have a similar passion, how can we collaborate? How can we work together to help achieve these goals? Yeah. And the people not on the train yet, like they're just not, they're still packing. They'll be on the next train or the next train and the next mm -hmm. train. So one of the things you said really early on about passion, I just want to comment on was this idea of play. And I think that's really important in my world. So I think throughout this talk, I've mentioned mass and a feminine, and that's part of the yin and yang, right? But in my world, I actually, everything's a triad. I love the triads. And so what you are pointing to, to me, is the inner child. 
It's that innovator. It's that scientist that's creating something, but instead of like, oh my God, I have a deadline. I have to get this done or whatever might be going on in the mind. It's like, oh my God, I get to play and I'm making this. And so I think passion and the inner child are definitely, you know, children have passion over the most ridiculous things. Like you give them a stick and they're like, woo, they'll play with it for hours. So I think that's just an important point that I wanted to make that when we are talking about passion, touch tapping into our playfulness. And, you know, also, I think it's really important that we remind people if you are in a person in your life where you're in some sort of transition and you're not quite sure you're living your purpose and your passion, looking back to the things that you were excited about when you were a child is a really good place to look and then seeing if you can integrate that in there. So let's talk about purpose, because that was another one that you identified as a purpose one. So in what ways does the principle of purpose influence your approach to the work that you do, specifically with scientists? There is a little bit of, um, of intention behind it, right? So I also do a lot of work with nonprofit um, and charitable organizations around social enterprise, so helping them become more um, sustainable, scalable, um, revenue-driven in cases. And I think sometimes I see a parallel with amazing scientists, which is, you know, because I, I create something that's amazing in the world, only good things can happen or, you know, but sometimes it may take a long time, right? I believe in karma, though, so I believe in, you know, anything good eventually comes back, but I think... Purpose is very important to have that that guiding light in what we do, and also being pers- per, um, you know having that purpose and that direction by being more focused sometimes, right? So the idea, for example, um, of um, you know, unfortunately, the day the world we live in today, especially in this country, is still very much financially driven, right? So. If you have an amazing innovation technology you're developing, this is fantastic news. However, you know, the little downside is you really need to start building a story that's going to be more of a business or financial story to kind of get to the next level, right? And so I think for me, that's what's amazing is being able and having that opportunity every day to help translate an amazing technology or innovation or something scientific into a purpose that may be much bigger in nature or much relatable for your audience so that, okay, you know, a lot of people are not scientists or don't understand everything you're doing um, because you're so technical in your field. How would we put that story together? How would we explain this to a fifth grader? Um, Because that's really, you know, in life, right? That's a skill that's very important because most people you're going to talk to don't have your technical knowledge. Um, so for me, right, that it's a lot of storytelling around the purpose and being really clear and concise around objectives, around where you want to go, which is also a big coaching component, as you probably know, as a coach yourself. So, yeah, so purpose to me is also a lot, again, beyond just saying, I'm doing these good things because, you know, I, I believe in the world or something. It's also needs to be associated with, a little bit of planning and storytelling. Mm. Storytelling, yes. So 
we're talking about sustainability now because that's a huge global issue that re does require an evolution of our consciousness, right? We do need to start looking at mother earth as a living being that we care for as much as we care for our own mothers or our own children, or our own partners. Um, and so tell us about this United Nations 2020 2030 sustainable development goals. Yes, I'm, I'm excited that more and more uh, teaching institutions in the, in the country are talking about it. The United Nations developed that framework, and originally it's the 2030 uh, Sustainable Development Goals, which uh, unfortunately, right, most of them are not going to be reached by 2030. So they are, I think, also constantly updating them or thinking about timelines and goals. There are 17 of them, um, including things like, you know, no poverty, zero hunger, climate action, uh, partnerships, um, equality between, you know, genders and and things like that. So um, I've used this framework a lot with startups and entrepreneurs because globally, right, it's starting to be understood by more and more people. And also, I do think it creates um, a good framework when you have an idea that maybe you're, you're creating a startup around to map your idea to, you know, one, two, three, um, I really, I rarely recommend more than three, but of these goals, because it shows that, again, you're thinking at a global level. And then because there are a lot of sub goals behind it, if you go on, on the United Nations website, you can really go into a lot of analytical details. Um, it can give you a lot of ideas around how, as your company or your startup is going to grow, um, the kind of things that can be impacted by by your technology and how to measure them at a very simplistic, uh, you know, way. I mean, that's what that's what I also preach to entrepreneurs. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated in the early stage, but how would you explain the or you, again storytelling around the impact that you're going to create with your technology? And so, mapping out the sustainable development goals to me is a very good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these are going to start to be used by a lot of institutions. Um, some big cities like city of Los Angeles had full teams around it. They, they publish reports around this in a lot of countries. Um, yeah, many cities have started to adopt them and see what their local action could be around the sustainable development goals as well. I love that. Um, I'm going to be the one to say the weird thing, no hunger, no poverty. I think with this evolutionary leap in consciousness that I am putting my whole heart into spearheading, I do believe many of those goals might actually, be, I mean, six years isn't that long, but I think we might be surprised at what is possible because I think the, the issue is a lot of the technologies to end hunger, the technology's there, right? And we have multiple multi-billionaires out there in the world where a small fraction of their money could actually solve these problems like that, right? Because there's enough people that want to do it. The technology is already there. Really what's all that's meeting, missing is the the capital and the spirit of generosity. And so this is why I'm speaking on this because I truly believe that as us, as a mass people, there's a tipping point. If all of us start 
to rewire our brain to think about what is possible, like to think the impossible is possible. Just like when you talked about taking your quantum leap, what you thought would take you five years only took you months. I believe that this is possible on a global level, that if we really put our, not even, I was going to say put our brains together, but that's not it. So we put our hearts together that the people with the resources that can make this happen almost instantaneously, they'll be drawn into the unified field because these people have so much influence. They're much more connected to us. So it's almost like our vibration of the masses, our desire, our belief will draw them in because at the, at the bottom, at the end of the day, it's all like marketing and PR, right? It's like they want to yes. be perceived as superheroes. You said some of them that are missing. I think sometimes the entrepreneurial spirit is also missing. And um, what I'm observing a lot today too is a lot of folks have a very black and white mentality, right? So I think maybe individuals like you, like me, we operate very well in uncertainty. We operate very well with change and transitions. It's not the case for everyone, right? And um, as, as you said, right, I mean, the impact investing world or philanthropic world, again, everybody goes with a good heart and good intention and want these things to happen, you know, no poverty, no hunger. Yet, a lot of people haven't changed their habits or their way of thinking into this new world of abundance. So there are still a lot of questions between, well, yes, but you know, if if I'm a wealthy individual, for example, I can provide money. So I'm going to give money to this organization or that organization. And I'm not saying don't do that. But if that organization you're giving money to, right, if out of $100, only $1 goes to some, you know, how are you going to evaluate right that the performance of that and in the nonprofit world again a lot of times the question of entrepreneurship and performance are very different and people have different expectations and what i'm saying is maybe we shouldn't have different expectations from a traditional startup or business right because i think i'm calmly with you i think we can achieve it but we still need to start uh, actually creating consciousness that we need to transform the model for the model to be successful. Because it's not like we haven't tried to solve hunger in the past decades or homelessness. And as you know, in big cities around here, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, the homeless crisis is not getting better, even though we probably have more money going into it, more people wanted to solve it. And that has been happening for how many decades, right? So my, again, my thinking from an entrepreneurial standpoint is when something doesn't work, and I think even Einstein said it, right? Like insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a, a different result, um, which is a very basic scientific thing, right? So if we want a different result, maybe we need to start doing things differently. Um, that's kind of my, you know, I guess my... Yeah. Uh, my, my big words for the day. <laughs> no, I agree. It all comes back to consciousness. So it's perfect. What advice would you give a, a tech leader, an entrepreneur who's aspiring to create social impact? And this I want to 
it's not just entrepreneurs. It could be someone within a large organization in a managerial position, right? Even with a relatively small team, a lot of times managers are given enough freedom to, I don't want to say act autonomously within there, but a lot of times there is a lot of freedom for people to bring an entrepreneur spirit into a corporate managerial position. So what advice would you give a person who's wanting to make social impact a, more of a, a significant role in their ventures? I would say first, keep believing in your idea, right? So don't get discouraged. Um, uh, connect with as many people that you think are also passionate about this space and that can you can count me in so if you if you have a thought or something you want to discuss i will always be available because i really truly believe in in what we believe in um and that is probably my biggest advice you know it's a lot of you've heard people say you know surround yourself with five people who are going to inspire you lift you up um, and so find these people who can get you to the next level, get you to the right resources, because your traditional network, you know, whether it's your personal network, even your professional network, if you may be in a, in a big corporation that is not so socially minded at the moment, and that's completely okay, but go outside of these circles, go on, you know, networks like LinkedIn, um, on, you know, websites that are more in line with what you're trying to pursue find the right people, some maybe influencers, and try to connect with them. The power of the human connection of, um, you know, you never know who you can talk to, meet with, um, you know, sit at a, at a networking event next to, or at a conference. Um, and I believe in that serendipity because I believe in the universe and that the universe will make it happen for you if you truly believe in it. I, I believe that too. And it's sage wisdom, especially for people who are working in leadership positions in large corporations. You know, these corporations want to change at their heart. I know it, but the wheel turns much slow when you're talking about large organizations and the status quo is very comfortable for a lot of these large organizations. And so your advice to just keep going is so key that, you know, whoever is listening, it's your job to be the light in the tunnel and then allow that light to spread to your immediate team. And then that their light is going to spread to everyone they connect with. And before you know it, these large corporations that we maybe thought we could never change, like that one person could never make that difference, we might find within the decade that we do live in a completely different planet that people like us dream about often, but a lot of other people maybe think aren't isn't possible or won't be possible in our lifetime. So Isabel, thank you so much for this conversation. Where can people connect with you? And then with that, if there's any final words you want to add into that. People can follow me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm the most active. Um, also, my website is impactinnovator.co. And, um, you know, I, I welcome anybody uh, to schedule a, a time with me or chat or connect um, via LinkedIn or my website. Um, I'm always happy to, um, you know, to connect. And and even though, you know, a lot of people ask me for, for advice, I always learn a lot from anybody who asks me for advice. So it's always, you know, uh, a two-way street. So um, 
I am looking forward to connecting with folks and and learning more about their adventures and their journeys as well. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was such a wonderful experience. I'll let the listeners in on a little, you know, this might not be the first podcast that airs, but this is the first podcast that I recorded, my first Be On Purpose podcast. And you have been a a dream, a dream. I've loved this conversation. I've loved all the places we've gone, a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of grounded. And I really feel like we did do what my purpose is, which was to bridge this intersection between technology and spirituality. And so thank you so much for being here today. And I don't know how to end this. How do we end this? <laughs> I don't know, but thank you. I want to make sure I give you my thanks as well. Um, this was a very inspiring conversation and uh, yeah, great way to start the year. Thank you so much, Lynn, for, for what you do and really how you can inspire your audience and, and your passion as well. Uh, very grateful for that. All right, friends. Well, hey, I guess I'm just going to go back to my engineering roots and be like, this is Lynn signing off. And I can't wait to see you next time on Be On Purpose because you have a special purpose. And once you start seeking it, it will come to you. There is no escaping purpose. It is coded in your DNA. And we are on this journey together to make a quantum leap in our consciousness, which is going to skyrocket the personal success of every person involved. So thank you very much. And I will check y'all later. <laughs>